Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation. Now we've got an exciting year of content lined up for you here on the podcast, on the Event Lab website and at our live events. Over the course of the year, we're going to be providing tips, insights and key takeaways on five core themes. The first of which, and our focus for the next few episodes, is engagement, innovation and technology. In this episode, we'll be talking to London Filmed to get their insight into what people should be thinking about when it comes to event media strategies in 2019, as Tom Mahon, their business director, joins us in the studio. A common misconception people get sort of caught up with is they think live streaming will dilute the purpose of being at the event, when actually what it can do is just enhance the event experience. Then I'm sitting down with Sanj Sarati, the founder of Tigerheart, to talk about digital and tech trends for 2019 and how to properly integrate new tech into your marketing and event strategies. And I always say to them, before we even talk about technology, what is it that you want to communicate? What's your narrative? What's your story? Once we get that out of them, then we start to figure out what platform's right for them. First up, though, we have the News Digest team sitting down to get stuck into the latest news stories affecting the world of events. Netflix are dipping into events with a documentary on Firefest, the ill-fated festival. The team take a look at tech unveiled at CES and confidence in the face of Brexit. How is the events industry feeling? The team this week is joined by Nicola McDonald, the editor of Exhibition News. Evening, everyone. Evening, Evening Ed. Ed. Evening. Welcome to 2019. It's uh, been 2019 for a while, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it has. It's uh, Time is already flying. I mean, thankfully, we're nearly, well, we're at least halfway through January. It is unbelievable, is isn't it? Charlotte Gentry from Pure Events is with us. Hello. Richard Groves. Good evening. Happy New Year. <laughs> and to you too. And making her pod debut, it's Nicola McDonald, editor of Exhibition News. Hi, Nicola. Hi, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Good, good year so far? Uh, yeah, I think we're always a month ahead for the print magazine anyway, so I've been in 2019 for about six weeks at this point, <laughs> so it's all good. Well prepped. So what are we excited about in, in 2019? What's, what are the big things hitting the world of events this year? What are we most looking forward to? Well, in my food-orientated world, um, I am actually quite excited about the um, foodism that's going on and the fact that people are choosing different dishes and uh, vegan January is huge and things, and the fact that people do want to eat different things and want to have choice and variety and flexibility and things, actually for a caterer is quite interesting. It's, sometimes it's slightly challenging, but actually that's fun because you're thinking about different dishes and making them more engaging and more exciting and more visually um, attractive when people first come in to come to a tasting. So yeah, that's, that's going to be good, quite good for us, I think. Personalisation is a massive thing everywhere. Right? Everyone wants really kind of... Customised bespoke experience. Food is a is a great example of that. Part of it, yeah. yeah. I guess just producing some more experiential events. Really, we've had a corking start to the year. Um, we've just produced um, a three day event for a conference event for Schneider actually, where we used these amazing um, big um, inflatable neon igloos. Um, wow. um, at the Vox, um, in Birmingham, which was which was awesome. And just looking at some of the pictures, I actually didn't specifically attend but it was an amazing way to start the year producing something that different and that that interesting as a kickoff um event so um bodes well yeah bodes well nicola anything you're particularly excited about um from a personal and kind of professional point of view i'm quite interested in the launch of the event complex aberdeen which is a massive new exhibition venue up in the north um quite near where i'm from so just a massive new venue in the uk and i'm excited to see what they do with it 
Good. Well, plenty to be excited about. And one thing I did want to talk about is because there's a, there's a Netflix documentary on it now is Fire Festival. How many of you know uh, what Fire Fest, the, the, the debacle that was that was Fire Festival? I was certainly aware of it at the time because there was a lot of online glee um, at kind of a very wealthy group of people falling um, out of, yeah, you know, getting into trouble. Getting into a lot of trouble. For mm. those people that don't know what Fire Festival is, essentially a couple of quite rich guys. Anyone remember the rapper Ja Rule? In yes, the, in a limited capacity, <laughs> not out of choice. Not a big fan, Richard. <laughs> well, they don't do choruses and verses, which is any way I can hold on to a song and a tune. Ja Rule and his, and his friend, I think they landed on, on an island in the Bahamas once and they stopped to refuel their plane. They saw this amazing island. They thought, I know, let's do a huge festival here. And they decided to plan the biggest, most exciting, amazing festival the world has ever seen. Of course, neither of them knew, had any idea uh, what they were doing. But what they did manage to get was an incredible amount of hype. I think they had they got really kind of the influencer. Uh, they got a couple of big celebrities, I think Kendall Jenner, Bella Hadid, talking about how this festival was going to be the greatest thing ever. Um, you know they're going to put on accommodation for people the world's best bands going to be you know huge ambition for this uh for this festival anyway people finally it came around to to it happening and they sold i don't know how many thousands of tickets you know people arrived on this island expecting the greatest thing ever three-day festival and i think there was there was pretty much nothing there no Nowhere to sleep, infrastructure. no bands, no infrastructure. The weather people... for the Bahamas as well, I think it was pouring with rain when they arrived. S- some of those photos you saw, people in kind of lying in the airport. <laughs> you, you, you saw it, didn't you? Yeah, well, just on social media, but it was it was like, um, you know, war-torn area. <laughs> it was people running around looting tents and all that kind of stuff. How does this How does this happen? So eventually the festival was, for those that don't know, indefinitely postponed. Uh, attendees had arrived finding tents, pre-packaged sandwiches instead of luxury villas and gourmet meals they'd been promised. They paid thousands of dollars for admission to this festival. They got their pretty much nothing there. Anyway, the organisers now have gone to jail. Um, you know, there was mishandling of guest baggage, scattered disaster relief tents with dirty floors, mattresses soaking wet, nowhere to sleep, no housing assignments, unfinished gravel lot, lack of staff, no cell phone or internet service, portable toilets with no water... How does this? How does this happen? I mean, and, and is there anything to stop this happening in the UK? Well, I, I think go back to the beginning of your intro to this piece. The, these two guys landed on a um, Caribbean island to refuel their plane and thought it'd be a good idea to put a con- uh, festival on. That's the first problem. <laughs> <laughs> if you're flying around, and you need to refuel a plane in the Caribbean island. You're probably not an event organizer who's got much experience in doing this sort of thing. And I think if you can, uh, we were talking about it earlier. And is, is this? What was the phrase we came up with? Is it naivety or is it criminality? You know, did they think they were going to get away with this, or did they were they being very sceptical and cynical about it and think, you know, let's just give it a go, get all this money in from deposits, and then just disappear? They got so far though; they got all the way to the actual event. Could this? I mean, could this happen closer to home? Could this happen in the UK? Something like this? Potentially, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're producing a festival of this kind of nature in the UK, I mean, you've still got major pitfalls to overcome, which is largely to do with infrastructure and ensuring there's enough drainage, dealing with the weather conditions, producing a risk assessment plan, all of these things. I mean, clearly these guys hadn't thought of any of that, despite the fact that trying to get any equipment into the Bahamas must be a fascinating thing to try to achieve. Um, you're surrounded by water. It would all have to come from Miami. The costs of transport alone, trying to produce a festival, are probably one of the biggest costs of actually trying to produce a festival as a transport element of it, of all the production. So, I mean, they were clearly um, smoking something strong when they were trying to do this. 
I think this must be quite a rare case of an organiser with an unlimited budget as well, and it still didn't work. I think they, they ran out of money, didn't they? They played devil, Devil's Advocate. You know, a couple of people they to build hype. Yeah, right, totally. And you have to, you if it worked, it would have been amazing. I was going to say, if you story. could make it work, it would be absolutely incredible. But the people that are actually going to be able to afford to get themselves there because it's so difficult actually to access, you know, that's half the challenge. There must have come a t- there must have come a time they realised well this is uh, this isn't going according to plan <laughs> but they didn't call they didn't they didn't call they didn't call it off I suppose they still yeah. must have harboured some hope right until the very end that they managed to pull it off it's always a bit like that with events isn't it? you're never hundred percent sure it's going to go right <laughs> but you do tend to put in enough toilets enough pieces of trackway to make it work yeah <laughs> yeah I mean crikey I mean the one thing you can never really be sure of is the weather conditions pretty much anywhere I suppose the only place you can be sure of is Burning Man in the middle of the Arizona um, where you're guaranteed it's going to be roasting hot um, but yeah the weather is is one of the biggest challenges and how you plan for that um, is hard enough let alone just didn't sound like they had a dry weather plan let alone a wet no. weather plan <laughs> yeah exactly exactly do we feel any tinge of sympathy for them or as, as events professionals no. are we are you thinking is there a little bit of satisfaction when people try to pull this off and didn't even get close? <laughs> I think it's a good case study, isn't it? Yeah. This is why you need <laughs> totally. people like us. Yeah, totally. Yeah, great idea, but then hand it to a professional and you can still have it hippie and still have it great and still get your mates there. But someone's got to make sure the trackway is down and the cesspit's open. shows the, the, the value of having a celebrity. Even one tweet, I think they did, one tweet, one Instagram post each, I mm. think they, they did about this festival and that was enough to drive thousands of pounds of, of ticket revenue for something that didn't even really exist. <laughs> Well, shows the power of social media and um, the co- that the concept itself was definitely a winner, but just not backed up by any delivery. Documentary is called uh, Fire, the greatest party that never happened. It's on uh, <laughs> it's on Netflix. So if anyone wants to find out a bit more about it, I'd recommend recommend watching that. Um, had the Consumer Electronics Show recently. Yeah, I think my, I think there's a few interesting things that happened at the show. I saw a video online of um, an AR mirror that was changing your reflections hair while you were looking at it, which I thought was a really interesting. It's going to probably That's really change cool. the fashion world. But right. there's a video of, of this girl, you know, it's changing from blue to blonde to brunette. And it's just really interesting use of AR and something I think is going to impact the events industry. Yeah, you could see you could try different, loads of different hairstyles, couldn't you? And yeah, cut out the receding hairline bit and the um, <laughs> bald spot. <laughs> Can't help kind of looking at the looking at the things that there and you try trying to think kind of what's going to be applicable to, to the world of events. And, well, you know, what are we going to see at big, big events like kind of regularly this year? There was a... There was a fold-up telly, wasn't there? Or yeah, there was up? a. There's basically a fold-up TV, an LG fold-up TV that sort of uh, folds itself back into a box, and you can uh, remove a small sec- section of it so that it tells the time, and you could have a ticker tape running across it, um, which is quite a fun thing. I, sp- I suspect probably from a production perspective, there were some quite interesting, new, innovative ideas. Um, there's a, a intelligent toilets. Are we gonna are we gonna see those? The new me, new me to <laughs> yeah. intelligent yeah. toilets. They needed that to fire, didn't they? It doesn't just talk to you. It promises you a fully immersive experience. Fully I mean, fancy. everybody needs one of those when they're sitting on the loo, don't they? Dynamic, <laughs> dynamic, interactive, multicolored ambient and surround lighting. It's what the people have been clamouring for. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's largely for men because I think men spend more time in there than women. Do you really? I do. <laughs> We read the papers longer than you do. Yeah, exactly. This is one for you, Richard. There's the bleeding vegan burger. So this uh, looks like it basically feels like a, a real burger because it, it bleeds. And it was convincing enough to make one vegetarian reviewer heave. Not sure if that's uh, too much of a, of, of a good thing. Does, would you question why vegans want things that look like meat? 
because if you're not eating meat, then you eat other things that aren't meat. But why, why disguise it as a piece of meat? I think <laughs> often it's people who aren't vegans who think that vegans want that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. let's give them a sausage that's not. <laughs> Apparently, it's not on sale in fast food restaurants in Las Vegas. It delivers all the taste that meat lovers crave without compromise to nutrition or to the planet. So maybe it's not. It's not really aimed at vegans. It's aimed at it's aimed at everyone else. Well, exactly, because surely a vegan's after a quinoa sandwich rather than, you know, a burger. Yeah, it's a bit strange, isn't it? I yeah. think, um, speaking of CES, I was quite interested in sort of increasing chatter around 5G, sort of the next level of connectivity and internet speed and all that kind of stuff. It's really going to change. I think that'll have a massive impact on events because the biggest bugbear for a lot of organisers and exhibitors is Wi-Fi, as much investment as goes into it. So I think it could have a massive change if everyone on site can use 4G, or sorry, 5G. Yeah. And will that not drop out? Because the thing about <laughs> big, you know, Wi-Fi does drop out sometimes when you've got a thousand people all coming out at the same time. Does that? I'm, I'm not very technically minded. Will that help that process? Will it make sure I, th- I think it will just defeat the need for Wi-Fi because everyone will be able to have a quick, fast connection uh, in the same way that we'd have four with four. Well, also, one of my biggest bugbears is venues still charging for Wi-Fi, which really irritates me. You, it's one of those hidden costs that you um, <clears throat> that you experience um, when you've booked um, booked a, a conference for I don't know five hundred people in a hotel somewhere in Spain, and all of a sudden they suddenly come at you with sort of three days worth of Wi-Fi cost, and you're like, well, hang on a second. How is this? How is this happening? How have you not told us or whatever? And it's sort of, you know, fifteen pounds a day or something. Mm. Which you know, when you're spending thousands of pounds on a conference, it absolutely shouldn't be a chargeable. Well, Wi-Fi is a big investment for venues, isn't it? We we get asked a lot by venues, you know, should, to what extent do we need to really, really invest in? Because it's not something you can really kind of half do. People expect it to be mm. absolutely flawless, and that is a big, you know, often a big, big investment for venues. So I suppose with with if um yeah, if the five G revolution happens, then I I guess that will that will solve. Well, well, that's it. I think people sort of um, exaggerate, but they refer to Wi-Fi as like a new human right. People expect an internet connection the same way they expect there to be toilets at a venue. Mm. So it is becoming a must-have. Yeah. And remember, we used to go to hotels eight years ago, and in the hotel room, it always used to say, you can log on to the internet, but it's going to cost you Mm. £15 a day or whatever. And they tried that for five or six years until they realised that actually no one's going to pay for it anymore because there's so many places you did get it free mm. and actually it is an, almost an inalienable right that you should be able to connect your phone to something. Might have helped Fire Festival. <laughs> they had too well, much wi-fi. good luck with them trying to get Wi-Fi in the exhibitors. Or even plug your phone or in. Or plug your phone in. Yeah, exactly. Having a charging station would be challenging enough. Call for help. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to talk, talk too much about Brexit because let's face it, we're all completely sick and tired of it but I think last time we were in this studio was the last time Theresa May was facing a no confidence vote uh, and I think she's she's facing the same exactly uh, as, as 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 we speak now um but come on Brexit no one really knows what's happening but you guys know the the, the world of events incredibly well is, is anything going to change you know to what extent does does this world flourish on kind of confidence and and, and everything else and and you know is, Anything else? Is there anything else that we can uh, we can add to the debate? I sort of wonder whether the fiasco that's going on right now <clears throat> is going to make the 29th of March just a little bit less poignant because I wonder whether we're going through such disaster at the moment politically because there's so much focus on the infighting, actually, of our own 
parties as opposed to the job in hand and she's had two and a half years to try to deliver it and she's basically been told by Barney this is the best deal you're going to get and you're not getting another one I wonder you know the EU have basically treated us pretty appallingly badly and haven't come up with a solution for us that's actually the right one Um, you know my personal view is should we just tell them to sod off now I mean you know if if they're not going to give us a deal and is actually this scenario now is it making paving the way for it being less Armageddon-like on the 29th of March because we're going through all of this in advance. Um, and I think there's fatigue as well. There is massive fatigue, and I think and people are just... businesses as well as people. Yeah. But, but in your own businesses, you, 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 you know, you, you have kind of contingency models or how you kind of, well, from a kind of... Are you kind of thinking about, about things in that way at all or are you just waiting to see what happens? Well, I, I personally tried to plan for it, and I've been you know, banging on about it now probably for a good sort of 18 months in terms of what that contingency looks like. But I don't think it's possible to produce one because at the end of the day, if the bottom falls out of the market, the bottom falls out of the market and all you can do is have a strong balance sheet um, and <clears throat> a number of contracts in the pipeline over the course of 2019 to weather the storm. You know, other companies who don't have a strong balance sheet and have been, you know, siphoning the profits off the top are going to battle if they've got large overheads. So, you know, the best contingency plan really is to just, you know, run a tight ship. And I think people, I mean, we've certainly noticed with our own clients, we've had, a, you know, stonking first week in, in January coming back after Christmas of people saying, we are now doing this event and it's yours to have. Mm. And that shows a vote of confidence and that people are just like, they're sick of it now. They're just like, do you know what? Life has to go on. Armageddon isn't if it is going to hit, we'll deal with it when it happens. But, you know, half of the financial sector haven't disappeared to Frankfurt like we were told they were going to. Richard, you said there's just no blueprint anymore, really, and you just... No, and I I, I think six months ago, people were saying, oh, we won't be booking this event up post 29th of March at the moment because we don't know, blah, blah, blah. But again, I think this fatigue has set in. People think, OK, it's, you know, businesses are planning for it. Things will happen. Um, I've been through at least two um, recessions, if not three, um, and I know what you do when you, you dip down, you market your way out of it and you, you know, everybody hunkers down and gets on with it. We've um, got two new venues opening this year, one at the Science Museum called Illuminate in March, which we've invested heavily into with the Science Museum and White Light, the production partner. And we've got another one opening in September on the Greenwich Peninsula called um, Magazine, which is a huge build, a thousand stand-up venue, a new build on a fresh piece of land. Those are going ahead. We're not mothballing them because you know it will... People will book these, and they are booking them. Think, you know, they're getting on with it. Sorry, I think it's interesting to look at Brexit from the supplier side because there are certain sectors that are going to be or sort of have more immediate concerns. There's like staffing, who are getting a lot of staff from mm. Europe and further afield, and also logistics companies who are going to have to get trucks through the, you know, Dover Calais um, area. And I think also there's companies who are mostly based in the UK with UK customers and companies that have offices abroad and operate abroad. And then there's companies based in the UK trying to work in Europe. And that's maybe an area of concern for them as well. Yeah. The staffing issue is still concerning. I think there's an, an interesting spin on that, though, which is that, you know, as a country we've relied on, because the hospitality industry is not necessarily a particularly revered um, skill set unlike it is in France that actually more training needs to take place for our for British people to actually be trained in the hospitality sector so that we're actually employing our own citizens rather than relying on 
um, European nationals coming in to, to fill those gaps from whether it's Eastern Europe or wherever, um, and that it should be, it should you know we should be considering hospitality and whether it's catering or production or whatever as as, as a skill, mm. um, rather than just offloading those jobs elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, but generally crack on. Really. Crack on. Yep. Yeah. Keep calm. Rattle on. <laughs> Keep calm and crack on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, I think we're out of time. Richard, thanks very much. You're very welcome. Charlotte, thank you I'll as always. You. And Nicola, brilliant to have you. I hope you'll be back. <laughs> I hope I will, yeah. Have a great evening, guys. Thanks thank a lot. You. Bye. It's time to talk event media now as business director of London Films joins us in the studio. So I am joined by Tom Mahon, the business director uh, at London Films. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. Uh, could you maybe give our listeners a little, little bit of a quick background about what it is you guys do at London Films? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, top level, we are um, an event media business. Uh, our core services are filming, photography, live streaming and virtual reality. Uh, we've got a small team based over in Angel in London. Yeah, so basically, wanted to get you in, basically, kind of get your guys' kind of expertise on the kinds of things that we could sort of look ahead to in 2019. Yeah, sure. What kind of media trends and ways to engage people? We are super excited about 2019. Uh, 2018 was a really strong year for us. Our core product services, which were filming, photography, and live streaming, we also added in virtual reality and augmented reality. Um, so, for those of you who don't know what virtual reality is, uh, I'm going straight off the textbook here. It's an interactive computer-generated experience taking place within a simulated environment. How cool is that? Uh, and, and that, for us, um, is going to be key in 2019. We're seeing a lot of people reaching out to us going, how do I add a wow factor to the event I'm running? How do I take the people who are attending my event outside of that event experience, i.e. different locations, um, showing them products in virtual reality? So we've really started to see an uptick in the amount of people asking us for that. Another technology that I'm super excited about is uh, augmented reality. And I guess to give this some context, everyone will have seen this in the form of Pokemon Go. So <laughs> I'm a huge Pokemon fan, you know, loved what was going on with that. But it was, you know, people walking around, getting lost in certain places, playing with their phones, scanning them over certain items and objects and really taking the, the, the normal world into an augmented state. So what people are coming to us are saying are, I want to show off this product. This product has different specs, different builds. So I want to use an app to basically hover hover over that product that is it my you know event or experience and bring it to life. So when I, I use my phone to hover over that, it's showing me you know the supply chain or it's you know breaking down that product and showing me the different aspects of that product. Uh, and that is really you know next level stuff. But you know we are starting to deliver on that as well. So, you know, I've mentioned all these super cool and trendy texts that people are starting to implement at their events. Uh, but to take a quote from Eventbrite, 93% of businesses say they've gained new customers thanks to video and social media. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think like, I think at this at this stage, video really has to be an integrated part of kind of everyone's kind of approach to marketing. Like, 100%. It's still very much core to, to what people are doing. Anyway, back to what we think is going to be key in 2019 and trends to take through the year. And, you know, feel free to agree or disagree with me. But uh, this is what, you know, from the data we've crunched, from the conversations we've had and the clients we've worked with, these are sort of the key themes that we'll take into 2019 and be either selling or people who are coming to us and they're starting to ask for. Um, so number one is venues with a story. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we've worked with you guys for two years now, I think. Um, you've got a number of really great venues, but I guess the differential between why I'd pick one venue over another might fall down to cost, but also I want a venue with a story. I want to know what's gone on there previously. I'm not just talking from an event perspective. Historically, is there anything that defines that venue over another? I think that's super important. So bring the background and history of the venue to life. Why is it different? Uh, what's gone on there that makes it different? And you know, the key way to sell that is to capture it in video. So that can be something really emotive. We can, you know, you create a, so a series of stories as to what's gone on that venue and why you might want to opt to pick that over another. Uh, but that's that's really key. And, you know, just creating a narrative um, is super important, especially in the, you know, age we live in. Everything should have a story. It should be sellable. It should be Instagrammable. So, yeah, it's like it's all part of like you know, kind of a great event experience. People want to feel like they are personally involved in the narrative of your event. 100% in, in engaging with and creating a story for that venue for people potential attendees or, or purchases of the space is is key and it might be the difference between winning that huge conference or not winning that huge conference um and then you know collaborative technology so you've got an event space it utilizes 100 people but you actually have a wider audience out there that you can tap into and collaborate with so I guess a great example of that is the live streaming we did at Event Lab not too long ago over at the Barbican. So, you know, you guys are running that super cool event. Uh, we went down, we surprised, you know, supported you by providing all the event media. And there was a number of really impressive speakers throughout the day. And it was great for the people in the room. But, you know, w what we were able to do is give you an additional window. Yes, yeah, I guess with, with live streaming, it's a way to... It enhances the, the event that you're having. It brings in more viewpoints. You get people engaging online, offering questions, enhances discussions. So you're improving people's experience of your event remotely, whether that's online and how they get to absolutely feel part of it. But also, you can enhance the the experience of people that are yeah, at the event very because much. you're bringing in even more viewpoints. You're you're offering more, you know, perhaps better questions to the. It's so important. And that's that's really key. And a common misconception I think people get sort of caught up with is they think live streaming will dilute the purpose of being at, like people being mm. physically at the event when actually what it can do is just enhance the event experience and give you an opportunity to you know show this to a wider audience who in hindsight you know or in, in theory should attend the next event that's coming up because they've seen how great it is so for us we've seen a huge uptick in the people uh, other than our clients wanting to do live streaming we think it's going to be integral uh, to event strategies moving forward in 2019. And we're, again, super excited about this technology. So something key everyone should have on their agenda this year. Thank you so much for, for nice. coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Cheers. More tech trends for 2019 now as Sanj Sarati shares his thoughts. So I am joined by Sanj Surati, Digital Atelier at Tiger Heart. Sanj, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be here. Yeah, no, it's brilliant to have you on because this episode we're talking a lot about 2019 trends, particularly in kind of tech, digital spaces. Yep. Something you are an expert on. Yep. First off, just first kind of quick question, something that 
uh, earlier interview touched on yep. got mentioned at uh, sort of News Digest touched on CES. I think every, I think every year I see news articles saying this is the year that VR and AR break the mainstream. That suddenly it's going to be everywhere, and we are we are seeing them in places at events. People incorporate them for little experiential stuff, but they're never they're not everywhere. Is 2019 the year they break the mainstream? So it's an interesting question. Um, so, so I've, I've been working like within the digital and tech space for mm. about 20 years. 20, this will be my 21st year, um, mainly within events. Main, I started within the music sector, then you know started doing lots of fashion and luxury events. Now I do anything. Um, and through that period, you know, started to work with AR. And when I started to work with AR, VR appeared similar time to when I started, which was I started working with AR, I think 2011. And then VR was this buzzword as well as AR. And when I started working with AR, um, there was this, the the initial conversation was who's going to win, AR or VR? That was the initial conversation. And the reality was no one was going to win because they're very different platforms. And then after that, a lot of, businesses that invest a lot of money into the vr world started saying that vr's this is the year for vr as you as you said and they kept saying that and they kept saying that for ar as well and that they've been having that conversation for about about six or seven years now every year as you say is you know is this going to be the year and the reality is it's not I i don't think so um the reason why people say it could be the year is because there's a lot of money involved and when you hype something up, like any product, any sort of new exciting product, um, people start throwing money at it, um, and and that's a that's a, a cool thing because these products, uh, or these platforms are fantastic, and they need investment. And the only way to get investment is to kind of hype the machine mm. to get people to throw money at it. So to answer your question, is 2019 going to be the year for AR and VR? Um, I think there's going to be some exciting advancements in VR and AR. But I don't think they've they're going to have their uh, peak year this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess like I think that I think they're perhaps the things that we always see that people get. You know, there are lots of tech headlines. We see lots of kind of little things that people are like, "This is the cool gimmick that your event has to include," uh, and they generate excitement. Various gadgets, different types of experiential tech that kind of crop up and make the make make the make headlines. Yeah. Um, and there is a lot of excitement around those. People get suddenly, you know, want to jump on them, be seen to inc- be including them yeah. in, in events. But I think there's sometimes there's perhaps a lack of thought in how how they're applied. Like, you, you've hit the nail yeah. on the head. So, so as I said, working in the space for a long time, for me, you know, when, whenever we're pitching a business, whether it's a brand or a company or whatever, we they usually come to us because they've seen some of the work we've done and they go, you know, we're in, interested in these te- these new tech platforms that you're working with and we, we want to work with them. And I always say to them, before we even talk about technology, what is it that you want to communicate? What's your narrative? What's your story? That, once we get that out of them, then we start to figure out what platform's right for them. Because using VR for the sake of VR is not going to help anyone. Um, there's this, uh, I, I do a lot of uh, tech talks all around the world. And I talk about letting the narrative dictate what technology you use as opposed to letting the technology dictate what narrative you use. And one of the examples I use is um, there was this uh, initiative that went live in 2017. Um, and it was a, a brand called Boisson, who make cheese, fantastic brand, French cheese brand. And they did a VR uh, experience in a, in, in a shopping mall. And it was basically you sit in this chair, you put this headset on and you, you, you start kind of moving around and stuff. It's kind of like a roller coaster kind of thing. 
Um, and the the aim That's my favourite place to eat cheese. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So basically, the idea was you get in this roller coaster that goes in a fridge, and you look for cheese. And obviously, some agency had sold this idea to yeah. the brand, sold this fantastic bit of technology, this uh, innovative idea to them, and they 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 went went with it. And the problem they had was they didn't do their research in the technology. So a lot of people don't know when you use VR, one in four people, I think that's the statistic, will will feel sick um, using VR. No, no, actually, no, I think it's higher. I think it's three out of four, something like that. Everyone feels a bit nauseous. And basically people were throwing up. So they're having this experience looking for cheese and they were throwing up. And basically this agency had sold the brand uh, an experience that made people feel sick, which is the worst thing in the world you know um that's not necessarily a bad thing i mean it's great that there was this investment put into that mm. idea but the problem with it was that they, they had a negative brand experience and that i think that's the issue is there's a lot of um you know head marketing directors or innovation directors at, at companies that have been given this task to be unique and different and exciting and it's great that they're trying to be but sometimes they just use technology for the sake of it and don't really tick the right box uh when it comes to trying to communicate the values of you know the business that they're trying to communicate with do you you have any kind of tips about how people can kind of better integrate these kind of new new tech ideas new tech interventions as part of a kind of proper strategy yeah so uh, so i used to work for a company called holition an amazing innovation agency based uh in holborn uh, check them out if anyone's listening. Check them out; they're really cool. Um, and one of the I was their experiential producer, and we developed we've developed a, a few tech products. We've developed some some IP. Some of it was majority of it was using AR. Some of it was like tracking software. Some of it was things that you use. You know, you hold a screen up and you can engage with the the tech. Um, and we developed those products, and we needed to figure out how to get them into the marketplace. Now. The assumption was, so one of the first things we came up with was a, a lipstick trying algorithm. This was in 2012 that allowed you to try on lipstick using a what we call a magic mirror. Um, the assumption was uh, cosmetics brands would look at that and just buy into it. Now, mm. what we found out very quickly was none of, none of the brands that we were pitching had the infrastructures to allow for this fantastic, innovative piece of tech to be applied to the experience. So we needed to test this tech. So... Luckily, we had, you know, we had we had an office, but we also had this room and I was in this room uh, myself, the CTO and the head creative. And we literally had all this tech lying around. We just messed around with it, you know, just threw as much as we could against the wall and just, you know, just try to figure out how to make things. So that's the first step is have some fun with this tech before you try to sell it into an idea. Just have fun with the tech. Spend minimum of three, maybe six months messing around with all these different technologies. Now, once you find something that really connects with you and you believe that it's going to connect with a, uh, you know, a brand or whatever, build build something and then test that. So when we developed uh, this lipstick trying algorithm, this uh, tech basically developed into uh, all, t- all types of makeup that you can yeah. have on your face. Um, and then we tested that. So we, we uh, had a partnership with the London College of Fashion and we just started getting students in to test this technology. And when you get to the test stage, you start to see where the problems are. So little things like uh, the CPU, the computer that was reading people's faces, didn't understand things like skin tone or skin color or how someone's face sweats or just things like that. Yeah, we went through about I think about four five hundred people to, to to refine the technology to get it to an optimum 
user experience. Once you've developed that user experience that you're confident with, then you take that to market. Then you present that to your client or, you know, whatever. So I think that's the first thing is have some fun with the mm. tech. And try yeah, well, to... I think it's fascinating that you say uh, you should connect with it because I think, I think some people sometimes adopt things because they just think that because it's new and cool, people will connect with it even though they haven't really thought about it themselves. Yeah. So like if you're, you know, find something that you connect with because then your clients will. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the worst things I've ever seen uh, was a VR experience at a trade conference. And this trade conference was very uh, stuffy, quite business-like. And basically the, this, uh, the, the, the brand that was trying to communicate with the people that were there created this VR experience. But it's a VR experience where you had to put on a headset and then you had to wear like a, a backpack with a big CPU in it. And then walk around, and what you found was you just had these businessmen walking around in a in a room with this headset, falling over, like trip, you know, getting really hot, mm. you know, um, and it's just a, a really negative experience. And basically, the the company was trying to communicate what their new spaces were going to look like through VR, which is a great idea, but it's just you just need to kind of think about the user experience and how how you're going to connect with someone. Because um, a lot of the people there only had like a few minutes of time, and this whole experience was like a half hour experience, which is like you know. And then they all kind of took their headsets off. Some of them felt ill, and then they had like a bad dinner. You know, you know how it is. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, I mean, it seems, it seems like perhaps maybe B two C are kind of somewhat ahead, more ahead in terms of how they're integrating and these set of things into their events. Yeah. You know, something that the B two B sector could learn in kind of. Well, um, there's nothing wrong with testing this technology out, and there's nothing wrong with businesses uh, spending some money, but don't assume it's going to solve all your problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just you know, try it out and see see what it's going to do for you. I mean, so what? I mean, what do you think are the kind of the best implementations of kind of new tech and innovations that you've you've seen in events? Like, oh, um, I think I think there's still so much opportunity with uh, available with Beacon Technology. Like, it's been around for a while. It's cheap. Um, the infrastructures are really simple to set up, um, and they can communicate with your devices very quickly without you having. So, to... so what's just a quick overview? Oh, sorry. Of um, yeah. So. Uh, Basically, there was, I think it was in 2014, the buzzword, like VR and AR, was iBeacons. And they're basically these little chips the size of a a thumbnail Mm -hmm. that you can put anywhere, and it can communicate with your device. Now, the problem uh, that technology had at the time was that people always had to download a specific app to communicate with the the beacon. But now, there's loads of uh, cool features within things like Facebook, the app that you already have on your phone, YouTube, um, uh, Instagram, that can communicate with this beacon technology. And what happens is you basically create a, a link between your device and the beacon. And you can put whatever you want in there. So restaurants use it to kind of say to you, oh, let's say I'm a, you know, I'm eating at uh, GBK, Gourmet Burger Kitchen, my phone will have this tiny little GBK emblem in the sort of okay. bottom corner of yeah. the screen to, to sort of say to me, ah, oh, we know you like GBK and we're nearby. It's a little bit intrusive, but for the event space, it's so useful because you can you can navigate. So you can go, mm-hmm. well, I need to find this stand. Okay. Boop, boop, boop. And then the beacons will contact oh, each other and tell you which way to go. You can look at your phone and it can kind of, using AR, it can show you where you're going. Um, you could be talking to someone at a stand. You want to swap details. You can do it with Beacon Technology instead of having to pull out a card. Although I think sometimes a card's more effective than that, but it, that's yeah, how far yeah, you totally. go. Or you could just use it to kind of monitor who's coming to your stand or who's near your stand. Um, there's lots of things you can do. 
No, I mean that that sounds yeah like an incredibly valuable thing that yeah could yeah. Make a bunch and there's of. there's quite a few companies in the space doing that. Um, there's a company I work with actually. It's based in uh, Canary Wharf. Who've developed a, a high frequency version of that platform, um, which is which is really cool as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's just as a as a final thing, kind of what what kind of trends, what perhaps new bits of tech are you hoping will see success in 2019. Um, so. Uh, you sent me an email about CES. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we uh, have to... Yeah, so I uh, there's, there's two things I saw at CES this year that I was really excited with, actually. Uh, one of them was the... There's there's these new Panasonic projectors that project onto you know whatever you want to project them onto, but they've got um, they've got tracking uh, uh, depth cameras on built into them, and that it's quite a um, it can basically. Uh, track depth from quite far away so it's basically like an interactive projections uh, screen that you can interact with now that that tech's been around for years but it's it's the first time that a brand like uh, like a big uh, projection company has brought that to the consumer space Mm -hmm. i mean it will sell to businesses but uh, so that i thought that was quite exciting yeah no well awesome it's been yeah absolute pleasure to have you on it's been (laughs) so informative cool thanks so much for having me yeah amazing Continuing Event Lab's focus on engagement, innovation, and technology, we have our first event coming up in February titled Cost-Effective Ways to Personalize the Live Event and Surprise Your Audience. You can find tickets to the event at eventlab.online. As always, you can find links to everything mentioned in the episode in the show notes below. If you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. If you have any questions or you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. Finally, you can follow all that Event Lab does on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore online. Thanks very much for listening.